Good morning again. That was a great lead-in, David. Um, I think that's f the first point in my notes that, um, yeah, July of 2019, we started uh, our study of Matthew, and uh, the COVID was a laboratory term. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't spoken in households. That's a long time ago. So uh, after a study of three years, a person might expect a diploma for completing uh, his or her um, course. And that, uh, that reminds me that um, we have some graduations coming up next month. And uh, why, is it, why is the graduation ceremony called commencement? Why isn't it called completion? Finished, done, over. Well, simply because, um, uh, huh, what? Well, no, you're, you're through with the education. Now you're going to commence your professional life, your career, okay? So as, um, as we have finished our uh, study of Matthew, for those who haven't already, we want to commence following the Lord in obeying his great commission. Okay, so this is a, this is a commencement, uh, if you will. We should collect the truths that we have learned in the book of Matthew and apply them to the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. That's our, that's our, our completion this morning. So turn to Matthew 28. And uh, we're going to look. Uh, we're going to look this morning at um, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through twenty. But uh, above verse eighteen, your Bible may say the Great Commission. Okay. And uh, what makes it great? The Lord is commissioning His disciples to to go and preach. What's great about this commission? Well, uh, a couple things. One is the need the need for the gospel. We have 7.9 billion neighbors or uh, uh, fellow inhabitants of the earth. And by any knowledgeable person's reckoning, the vast majority of these people don't know the Lord Jesus. 7.9 billion souls, most of them need the Lord. So it's a staggering uh, task that the Lord gives his 11 disciples uh, to preach to all the world. Okay? And then the, the second thing uh, that makes uh, the, the Great Commission great is the responsibility and the privilege of his disciples. The Lord himself may have done more efficiently, but he hands this responsibility over to uh, his disciples. They're, um, they're men uh, who um, uh, are like us. Uh, they have limitations, they have weaknesses. And so um, it's a great responsibility. It's, a, it's an honor, it's a privilege, but the, the responsibility lay heavy upon their shoulders. What did the Lord commit? in his commission. What did he give to his disciples, to these 11 disciples? Well, back in uh, 
John 6, um, Simon Peter answered the Lord. Uh, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the, um, the Lord Jesus has the way to heaven, and we would not have known the way unless he had told us. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. And now he commits those to his disciples. Now you preach the words of eternal life. Um, Paul in Romans 1 has a, a different way of expressing it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the uh, power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's large. That's huge. So this is the responsibility that the Lord is, um, is giving to his, uh, his disciples. In recent weeks, we followed the Lord Jesus to the cross of Calvary. During those three hours on the cross, God the Father forsook his son. He abandoned him as he bore the weight of your guilt and mine um, before his father. Jesus died a real death. He, um, he was buried in a real grave. His body lay on the cold stone for, for three days. But last week, hallelujah, we celebrated he is risen. He, he rose again from the dead, victorious over sin. You were talking about uh, victory, Howard, and uh, uh, the victory that the Lord made, that he won. He showed uh, God's satisfaction with the sacrifice that he made by uh, rising from the dead. And so we have that assurance, we have that confidence that uh, Christ has paid our sins and, and the Father is satisfied with that. Well, the setting this week is um, since uh, after the, the Lord's resurrection, uh, he uh, stayed on the earth for 40 days until uh, before he was ascended, before he uh, rose to heaven to his Father's right hand. During those 40 days, the Lord gave instructions to his disciples. And in, um, in Matthew uh, 28.10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So this is where we begin our study this morning is uh, the meeting at Galilee. Let's pray again. Lord, um, uh, your servant is weak and uh, carries a large message. Please um, convey that to hearts this morning uh, to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We'll look at this passage under um, five headings. The first one is the Lord's authority, Jesus' authority to command his disciples. Second, we'll look at um, the Great Commission is actually three commands that the Lord gives to the disciples. And uh, third, we'll um, see that the Lord's commission, his instruction, would have come as no surprise to his disciples. Why? Why was that? Um, Then fourth, the need for the gospel today. We've already touched on briefly. And then uh, finally, some opportunities for the gospel that we have in the world today. So in uh, in verse 16, verse 18, sorry, uh, the Lord uh, tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's a... uh, a wonderful reunion that, um, that the Lord had with his disciples in Galilee. The hymn writer said, Lord, we joy, thy toils, toils are ended. Glad thy suffering time is o'er. And uh, the Lord Jesus had authority already over creation, over the, uh, the spirit world. But uh, Bill McDonald points out in his commentary Now that he had completed the work of redemption, he had authority as firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so the Lord's going to exercise this authority over his uh, new creatures, his his disciples. And um, as I mentioned, there are actually three commands in the Great Commission. The first one is in verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go. What's, uh, what's captured in that little word, go? It wasn't a new command to the Lord's disciples. He had told them early in his ministry uh, to go. And uh, we read in Matthew 10, Uh, Verses 5 through 7, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Imagine being a disciple, one of the 12 uh, of the Lord Jesus. You've, um, You've committed to following him. Um, and uh, you learn pretty quick that uh, it's, uh, it's not a static uh, uh, service. Preaching was not something that the uh, disciples could do from the comfort and security of their homes or their synagogues. It required movement, reaching out to others and not waiting for others to come to them. Recall also in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. The king instructed his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go to the high, into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. 
It was um, not convenient for the servants to go uh, to the highways and to compel, to invite uh, people, all, all the people, invite them to come in. And, uh, and yet his instruction was, go. It's wonderful that someone went out of his way to reach you with good news. And uh, Paul says so in Romans 10. He says, uh, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I thank the Lord for uh, beautiful feet. I thank the Lord for those who go and preach the gospel. Uh, it's not convenient. They, uh, they leave the, uh, the comfort and security of their homes to, uh, to reach out to the lost. Okay, well, the Lord said, uh, go, we're still in his first command, go and make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? The root word for that single uh, word in the original uh, means to learn. Make disciples comes from the word to learn. And uh, so we could translate this make disciples as make learners, go make learners, make followers, the Lord's command was. And note the corresponding commands that Mark and Luke give in their accounts. Matthew records, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Mark, in uh, chapter 16, verse 15, said, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, go make disciples, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Luke sh uh, sheds yet uh, another light on the Lord's instruction. Uh, the Lord said to the disciples, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here's, uh, here's uh, Luke weighing in on repentance and remission of sins, that they should be preached. Well, uh, what, does, um, what does repentance mean? Uh, it's, it's not penance. Penance is something that we've made up. It's an act of self-punishment um, by which a person intends to make himself right before God. Penance, okay? That's something that we made up. That's not something that God uh, desires. Repentance, on the other hand, is an acknowledgement that I've offended God and I can't make it up. Repentance says I'm undone. Uh, there's no way that I'm going to come back and, and uh, make myself right with God. Okay? Repentance. Repentance says... I'm guilty before the righteous judge of the universe. Faith says, I take you, Lord Jesus, as my savior, as the substitute uh, for my uh, sin bearing. You are my sin bearer. I accept you as my one and only savior. Grace 
says, your sins are remitted, forgiven, go in peace. Jesus' disciples were to preach repentance and remission of sins. Perhaps few would follow, but the the Lord Jesus' instruction remained, preach the gospel to, um, to every creature. And then the Lord would save some out of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. Okay? He's, uh, he's guaranteed to save from every people group. That's one command. Go and make disciples of all nations. The second command in his great commission was uh, baptizing these, uh, these new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism. We have, uh, we have a baptismal tank right up here, and um, uh, people have given testimony to the Lord's grace. They, uh, they testify, they witness to his uh, soul-saving, life-transforming power. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants uh, public testimony. Um, the Lord's is not a secret service. And baptism follows salvation. Baptism is not a requirement for salvation. Um, and a, a believer's baptism follows a believer's uh, faith in the Lord Jesus. A professing brother told me, um, yeah, I was saved back in uh, 2009, but I was baptized way before that. And uh, I said, uh, no, that, that doesn't work. Um, you weren't, you hadn't experienced that soul-saving power of the Lord Jesus, so how could you give testimony to people through baptism? You didn't, so you need to be baptized, okay? Baptism is a public identification with God, who is the Father, the Son, who is the Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer and gives him the uh, enabling to obey. By baptism, we tell the world, the Lord saved me and I'm following him. That's, uh, That's two commands. And then the third is in verse um, 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The Lord desires disciples. He desires followers, not uh, mere decisions. Bill uh, McDonald uh, says again in his commentary, he says, the essence of discipleship is becoming like the master. And this is brought about by systematic teaching of and submission to the word. Okay, it's not enough to um, bring a person to the Lord. Hey, you're saved. Uh, See ya. Um, We'll we'll be in touch. No. Um, The the one who is um, making disciples sticks with the... uh, the convert and uh, make sure that he's on solid ground, make sure that he's grounded in the word. 
Disciples make disciples who make disciples. We must teach new believers how to follow the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Each of Jesus' followers forms a vital link in a gospel chain. We heard the gospel from the 11 disciples, probably, as they uh, preach the gospel to others, they in turn preached uh, the gospel to others. And so through the centuries, through the millennia, we have this gospel chain, this, uh, this chain of testimony is uh, coming from the uh, 11, from the 11 disciples. And if that chain had been substantially broken, you wouldn't have heard Okay, so it, it shows the importance, the, um, the vitality, the need for maintaining this, um, this link. And the Lord says, uh, um, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. We can't afford to be the last link or a broken link in the chain. So three commands in the, in the Great Commission. And uh, let's look at the fact that the uh, Great Commission would have come as no surprise to the disciples. All right, they're in Galilee. It's, uh, uh, it's a victory time. Uh, the um, disciples are elated, they're triumphant, and uh, they're intent on listening to what the Lord has to say. These 40 days um, of, of instruction and um, being with his disciples. Uh, there are several themes we'd like to pick up during the Lord's ministry, which caused the disciples now um, to anticipate uh, his great commission. Uh, the first one is uh, the Lord's passion for souls. Right from the start, it was, uh, it was obvious to the disciples that this man, this um, uh, this perfect man has a uh, compulsion. He has a passion for reaching the lost, for healing the sick. And um, his name shall be called Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah saves, because he shall save his people from his sins. What an appropriate name for our Savior, Jesus. Imagine as the disciples sat uh, now uh, the Lord instructing them uh, as a group and uh, imagine their uh, intensity, their attentiveness as, as he is communicating them his, in, his instructions. As he gestures, he does so with a, a nail, uh, nail prints in his hands. They are evidence of his tremendous love for the, uh, not just for the disciples, but for the lost. And the disciples can't help but uh, sense this overpowering love the Lord has for, uh, for his creatures. Kind of um, connected to that <clears throat> is a second characteristic we see is uh, the Lord's love for the nations. It's not just for the Jews, but uh, for the Gentiles. Though he was sent uh, primarily for the lost of the uh, sheep of the house of Israel. 
We have clues dropped uh, throughout Matthew's record of the Lord's love for, uh, for Gentiles, um, right uh, pretty much from the start. Uh, the young child Jesus uh, received the uh, adoration, the worship of the Magi. <laughs> These weren't Jews, okay? The Magi um, <clears throat> were from far away, far outside the, uh, the influence even of Israel. We see the Lord's love for the Gentiles uh, as he met the needs of the centurion at Capernaum. The um, Capernaum, the uh, centurion had a servant who was uh, sick and uh, said, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. You can heal him right here. <laughs> and the Lord said, this is marvelous. Uh, he marveled at the, at the faith of this uh, centurion. He says, this is greater than I've seen in all of Israel. What a statement to make uh, about a Gentile. And then third, very familiar to us is the... Um, Syrophoenician woman, um, the Lord pushed her away um, uh, verbally. Um, I, was, I was not sent but to the house of Israel, but she didn't give up. And um, her, her daughter was severely demon-possessed. And the Lord finally, uh, finally commended her faith, finally gave her some relief. Yeah, uh, I applaud your faith. Your, your faith is amazing again. Uh, more than that in Israel. So um, those are examples of the, um, of the Lord's love for the nations. And he tells his disciples, go to all the world. Go to the nations. His love, his gospel is inclusive. It's all inclusive. And he, he wants no corner of the world left unreached. Go to the corners of the fields. Reach everyone. God said of his servant Messiah back in Isaiah 49, he said, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And uh, actually in our worship time this morning, um, Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Wow. <laughs> okay. So the gospel is, was not exclusively for the Jews then. It's not only for the Christians today, but it's for the Sikhs and the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the animists and the, the atheists. The gospel is for all. So we see the Lord's love for the lost. We see his uh, love for the nations. And then uh, we see, thirdly, uh, prelude to the Great Commission, his preparation of his disciples to go. We, we looked at that already, uh, to go not just to the sheep of the house of Israel, but to, uh, not only to the highways, those are local, I can walk to the highway and invite people to come in. But he says, now I want you to be uh, witnesses beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to go. I want you to go. 
The disciples had already practiced overcoming their natural inertia. Inertia means I stay in one place, right? I'm not going anywhere. I have to overcome that. They, um, they practiced overcoming their love for comfort, for security, for home, for luxury. They'd already experienced that in following the Lord for three and a half years. Now the Lord says, go. Make disciples of all nations, okay? A fourth uh, indication of um, the Great Commission was um, the master's confidence in his servants. He's going to impart something uh, out of his treasury. It's, um, it's a resource of his. It's very valuable. It's the gospel. How many parables did the Lord teach about faithfulness? Faithfulness of the servant. In one uh, parable, the, um, the master says to his servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The gospel is, um, is, the, Lord's, is the Lord's resource. Um, he entrusts it to his servants for their wise management and distribution. The master delights in the servant's faithfulness just as the pleasure of the Lord prospers in Jesus' hand. So it was no surprise. I, I don't think the, the disciples, as they, as they sat um, at Galilee and heard the Lord's instructions, this was no surprise. I want you to go to all the world, make disciples of all nations. Well, what's the need? Slide, Christine. What's the need for the gospel today? There, is, um, there are a lot of resources that we have uh, online, uh, a lot of statistics, and I'm going to show you some statistics this morning. I want you to brace for, uh, for numbers. I know uh, not everybody appreciates numbers, but we have to look at them as we think about the need uh, in the world today. The, um, uh, the people who prepared this slide uh, show the world uh, as the great circle here, and then within there are evangelicals. Now, um, they grossly exaggerate the number of evangelicals, and they're going to introduce other Christians too. But the concept that they're, that they're presenting here is valuable to us. So their definition of evangelicals is those who believe the gospel, the good news, um, that it brings salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. So they say, they say 10%. Um, even in this nation, if I, if I go down the street <coughs> and I go to 10 houses, will I find one um, believer uh, among the 10? I go to 100 houses, will I find 10? If I go to 1,000 houses, will I find 100? Um, okay, we're not going to pursue that. Okay, but um, within the world, uh, there are the evangelicals and then there are other Christians. And um, by other Christians, they mean 
um, people who um, say they're Christians, all right? And they say 33%. Um, again, that's a stretch. Um, <clears throat> all right, this gets complicated, but bear, bear with us. We divide the world into um, uh, eight or 10 different slices, and uh, India, um, Muslim-majority countries, other Asian countries, China, non-Muslim Africa. Um, the rest of Africa might be in um, Muslim-majority countries. Uh, Europe is represented, North America, and uh, Latin America. And uh, we've divided the pie to show these are the evangelicals in, um, in Latin America. They've got a lot, and uh, um, professing Christians, other Christians here. Um, China, not so much. So um, percentage-wise, it looks like there are uh, a lot of followers of Jesus, not too many professing Christians. It's not, there's not much value to being a professing Christian in China. You're going to be persecuted. <laughs> so <clears throat> it discourages uh, um, leisurely uh, professors. <clears throat> okay. Um, so we're going to look now at the gray areas. You understand um, the gold is um, evangelicals, the yellow is, um, is other Christians. The green, um, they describe as culturally near non-believers. That means these are people who don't know the Lord. Uh, they don't even profess to know the Lord. But they have family and friends and neighbors, perhaps, who know the Lord. And so they're not without a witness. Okay, culturally near means I've got people within my culture who know the Lord. Okay? And um, there are a lot in, in China. It's a pretty homogeneous culture. It's a um, uh, single culture. So they're not as difficult to reach as, say, uh, India, where you have uh, so many different cultures. You've got a lot of, oh, I'm sorry, that's, it should be green. Let's pick China. Yeah, so you don't have a lot of green in India. So what fills this void here? What, what kind of people are we looking at in India and Muslim-majority countries and other Asian countries? Are you following? Is this, is this making sense? Okay. All right, good. <laughs> Just one more slide. <clears throat> okay, so finally, we, have, uh, we had evangelicals, we have other Christians, we have culturally near non-believers. These are culturally distant non-believers. And these, um, these are people in the blue um, who have no, no expectation, no hope of ever bumping into a Christian. Less than 2% evangelicals in their culture. Uh, we call, uh, they call them unreached, unreached people groups. There are a lot in India, um, <clears throat> a lot in Muslim-majority countries, a lot in other Asian countries. They have no expectation of, of hearing uh, the gospel <clears throat> unless somebody goes way out of their way to do so. I think there may be more slides here I'd like to check. Uh, okay, that's, uh, yeah, just this one other. <clears throat> so, um, 
the mobilization challenge is that for every 30 missionaries who go to the reached people groups, there's one who goes to these unreached people groups to uh, India and to um, majority Muslim countries and other Asian countries. So the need is more intense. There's a, there's a general need worldwide, but the need is more intense in India and Muslim majority countries um, and these other Asian countries. Great. Thank you, Christine. Isaiah 49, <clears throat> 6. I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Where is the end of the earth? Where are the ends of the earth to which Jesus was going to be salvation? What's the furthest reach of, uh, of these nations? Well, we've, we've looked at, um, at some already. But uh, I was considering Isaiah 49, 6 and the, um, the ends of the earth and uh, looked at a map and I thought, what is the end of the earth? What are, uh, what's an end of the earth? And I, I looked at the map and I studied it and I thought, Tajikistan. Tajikistan is the end of the earth. I barely even knew the name, okay? And so um, uh, it's 98% Muslim. It's at the base of the Himalayan mountains. It seemed far enough and foreign enough to be uh, the end of the earth. So I mentioned this to my uh, friend Dave. Um, he and his wife were uh, gospel workers in Kazakhstan. And uh, Dave said, oh, there are, there are, um, there are workers in Ta Tajikistan. There are, there are gospel preachers in Tajikistan. <laughs> and uh, I said, really? Um, and he mentioned a name and I said, could I have their address? And um, so I, I corresponded with them. And uh, sure, they're, they're winning souls in Tajikistan. So um, uh, there are desperate spiritual needs in Tajikistan, but beyond Tajikistan, uh, beyond Tajikistan. Um, and, it, and so it's not the end of the earth. Uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote, Something hidden, go and find it. Go and look behind the ranges, the, the Himalaya mountains. Something lost behind the ranges, lost and waiting for you, go. So there's a challenge. There's a challenge to go. Go to the unreached um, people groups. You don't have to get on a plane or a ship to, uh, to reach the unreached people groups. Um, other slide, Christine, foreign language by age. Thank you. So um, in this slide, uh, we've chosen Fremont languages. What do um, people speak in Fremont, California? Well, um, English only 37.5%. Uh, That's not very much. 35 percent um, speak Asian and Pacific Island languages. 
uh, 18 speak Indo-European languages, and then 8% uh, uh, Spanish. We don't have to go overseas. The Lord brought the, um, the unreached people to us, okay? He brought the needs to us. What appears to us as a language barrier, a cultural barrier, <clears throat> I may or may not be welcome in these people's homes, is actually an opportunity for us to, to go and speak to people of other cultures. By illustration, <clears throat> many years ago, uh, a, a young engineer was hired into our office. He was um, <clears throat> born and raised in Canton province, communist China, educated. She got her uh, degree here in the Bay Area. And uh, this was pretty much her first job that she had. Um, but I, I mentioned to her one, one day something that Jesus had done. And she said, who is Jesus? She didn't ask it sarcastically or flippantly. She asked honestly, who is Jesus? And it, it, it flooded my mind. This person has not heard of Jesus in an intelligent way. And so I had the honor to, uh, to explain to her uh, the gospel. Through, through our years of, of working together, okay? I'm not free to go to Canton Province, Communist China today and preach the gospel. But I had a relationship, a working relationship with uh, someone from, uh, from that unreached, unreachable uh, group. Little Kabul, where is Little Kabul? It's in Fremont, it's in the Centerville district. Okay, 25,000 Afghans live in Fremont. It's, uh, I believe it's the largest population of Afghans outside of Afghanistan. There was a regular outreach by, um, by a church in Reading to Afghan uh, people. And they would call, they would call and say, we're, uh, we're reaching out to Afghans and we would like to know if anyone's interested. Well. I, I confess I, I didn't follow up on it, but um, that's an opportunity that we may have people calling and saying, you know, would you like to participate in this, this outreach to, um, to people in Fremont? So what are some other opportunities? The goal of the Lord's Messenger is to make disciples, uh, believing uh, disciples, trusting in him for salvation, repentant and forgiven baptized, publicly um, testifying for the Lord, and observing or obeying all things that the Lord has commanded. The um, opportunities that we have, uh, we took an opportunity years ago to distribute 10,000 copies of um, uh, Ultimate Questions or Final Destiny to households here. And um, uh, if you'd like, to um, renew that opportunity, uh, we'll get gospel booklets and we'll go and, uh, and distribute those. There's opportunity. Through the years, young people in our assembly have gone to, on short visits to Peru, Papua New Guinea, Philippines, Mexico, New York City, uh, to, uh, uh, to help uh, preach the gospel. 
and it's an educational experience. Um, if you're not able to do actual outreach, you can offer housing and meals to those who come in from out of town. Open your home to, uh, to some of these workers. And then uh, another opportunity is um, prayer. There's always a need for prayer for, uh, for the gospel worker. And we have these um, missionary prayer handbooks uh, organized by day of the month. So you can go through and pray for, for different missionaries. I encourage you to pray personally for um, missionaries and get together and pray uh, as a group. Start your own group. When the opportunity arises, don't be the final link in the gospel chain. The Lord Jesus is passionate about saving souls, and he's confident, he places confidence in his servants, in his um, messengers, that they will communicate his message. Last, uh, uh, the last verse in our study this, um, this morning, Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the age. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the challenge this morning. Thank you for your promise that you will be with us, uh, working with us to fulfill the great commission. And um, what an honor it is to serve you in this. Give us opportunities this week to um, meet people of other cultures and to, uh, to share your good news with them. We ask uh, in Jesus' name, amen.